Siri, remind me to pick up milk on the way home. Hey Siri, remind me about ballet practice at 5 p.m. Hey Siri, remind me to ask mom if I can borrow her car for Friday. Hey Siri, remind me to call the body shop. Hey Siri, remind me to take out the trash tonight. Siri, hey 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 uh, it's really the book of Ephesians. And uh, in, the, in the first part of this year, we went through the book of Romans, and it was a great experience. And this time, we are going to go through the book of Ephesians. And the thing about Romans is it was basically a chapter a week, and it was sort of like a fire hydrant, right? Every week he came, it's just like, you know, massive concepts. And Ephesians is a little bit, I guess there's more bite-sized chunks in this book that's a little bit easier to track along with, uh, not as much information. But I will tell you this, that the revelation in this book is just as powerful and is just as, as, as life-altering, okay? And so uh, really what we did in Romans is we went through and, and really explained, took time explaining the gospel. And, and really the, the, the book of Romans starts with that and then sort of goes to application towards the end. And what we're going to find in Ephesians is that it's very similar to that. The, the first part of Ephesians is really, you know, what happened? What did Jesus accomplish? And then how does that affect our life? How does this play out from here? And uh, also what's going on is we are starting our small groups this week. So tonight, many of you, yep, are going to be in small groups. In case you were like, what are small groups? Well, they're exactly what the name is. They're groups of people who meet in a smaller setting. And so we thought that small groups would be a great name for that, right? And, uh, and so tonight, if you're, if you're not in a sermon-based group, your freedom groups will be meeting right here at uh, five o'clock. And so I'm actually going to be here tonight. Um, I'm excited to, to be able to kind of kick off freedom with you. Um, but for all of our other groups, we're going to be going through uh, whatever we teach on on Sundays, we talk about in our groups. And so it's I was just talking this past week about um, with someone about like our short-term and long-term memory, right? And so short-term memory is you hear it once, it's sort of there, but if you had to explain it back to somebody, you really wouldn't be able to. You know what I'm talking about? That's how we live most of our lives because we watch YouTube and then we're experts for an hour and then we forget all the information and we're no longer an expert. But uh, what happens is, you know, we, we hear certain concepts, but as we begin to repeat them and talk about them and discuss them, it travels from that short term, just sort of like kind of got a, you know, maybe a small understanding of something into the deeper parts of our mind. That's why the Bible talks about meditating and, and studying and continue to, to grow in your knowledge of God, because it goes from this surface sort of like kind of understand it, kind of get it into this deep part of your heart that really changes you from the inside out. And so that's really one of the goals in our small groups is to not just kind of gloss over things on a Sunday morning, all right, like what we're doing right now, but, but to go a little bit deeper into those things and to discuss those with people around us. And so we love our small groups. We're excited about them. If you're not in one, you can go to that website right there, northwood.church slash small groups and get in a small group, all right? I'd really highly encourage you to do that. Sound good? Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, let's kind of let's get into what we're going to be talking about. So it's Ephesians, and a, a kind of our subtitle is A Reminder to the Busy Church. And uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know that <laughs> I had all of us just go ahead and admit and just throw it out there and actually repeat, we are so busy. Y'all remember that? 
Like, one, two, three, we are so busy. Because honestly, every single person, especially in America, we're maxed out, we're busy. And so if you talk to anybody, everybody's busy, everybody's stressed, which kind of begs the question to me, is anybody really busy and that stressed if everybody's busy and stressed? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right? Like it raises the bar and kind of evens everything out. And, uh, and, and what we do sometimes is we sort of like, we use that as an excuse to not really lean into th- the things that matter, right? We, like, I don't have time to study the Bible or I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time for all of these things just because I got a lot going on. And uh, what we're gonna learn today, the, the church in Ephesus was actually the exact same way. <laughs> They were, I mean, a huge city, had a lot going on. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus and uh, kind of, I think, reminds them about what really matters. And so each week, we're gonna be looking at different uh, points of view from each of these, these blocks of scripture that we're gonna look at to kind of remind us of what we believe and why we believe it and how it changes our life. And so let's go ahead and start with Ephesians chapter one, verse one and two. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's get a little bit of context, a little bit of overview about what Ephesians is and, and, and kind of you know, where this thing is coming from. First off, it's written by Paul. Now, Paul was the same guy that's referred to as Saul, and, and really, he... He persecuted Christians, he killed Christians, people that, that professed the name of Jesus. He would go about, he'd imprison them. He, he was a, really a terrible person in our eyes, but in his eyes and in the Jewish community at that time, the, for the Pharisees, he was an incredible person. He was doing great things for God, right? That's why sometimes people that say they're doing great things for God, it, it, it might not always be great things for God, you know? Paul was like, I'm doing incredible things. But what happened was Jesus confronted him and blinded him. It's a really incredible story. And really his whole life gets changed upside down and he becomes an advocate for Jesus. And so he's writing this letter in about 62 AD. And the cool part is this, is that he's sitting in prison writing this letter. And you thought you had a bad morning, right? He sits down and the way that Paul looks at it is like, okay, it's a little break time here from the shipwrecks and the snake bites, right? I think I'll pin one of the most powerful books in the future Bible. I mean, I don't know. And, uh, and also he wrote Philemon and Colossians in the same period of time. I mean, the dude was incredible. You really should go read much, much more about Paul. You'll have a lot more respect for the things that he wrote because you realize what he was doing at the time. He's getting beat and all kind of crazy stuff. But he's writing it to the church in Ephesus. Now, we, we gotta realize, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes whenever you read scripture or you read historical books, you think that the people in that time weren't like us, right? Like they, they, they were really ignorant or they just didn't have all the, you know what I'm saying? The, the reality is the people in Ephesus were very intelligent. There was a lot, of, a lot of money in Ephesus. It was a port city. There was about a quarter of a million people that lived there. This was like an epicenter for a lot of, uh, it was multi-ethnic. There was, I mean, tons of people from all over the, the globe at that point, you know, were, were in this area. And so it was a lot like our culture, 
There was a uh, you know religious pluralism pluralism in the community. There was this this you know there was a lot of Greek mythology in that time too. So there was this polytheistic mindset, and so it, it also like this this relativistic type of thing where it's like what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. That sound like us, right? Like you can have your belief, you can have your God. They all kind of coexist. How many of you you see the bumper stickers coexist? And it's all like yeah, that's. That's what's going on here, all right? That's the mindset. So, so don't detach us, right, our thinking from what was going on in this time period. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And Paul is writing this letter to the church who's experiencing these things. People are coming out of, of these different mindsets. I mean, people that are believing in all of these Greek gods and they have all this weird thinking. He's writing a letter that is coming against all that they believe, it's very controversial. Actually, if you go to read in Acts 19, you'll see the, uh, where Paul has gone to Ephesus and he, he literally turns the economy upside down. Uh, they got the silversmith and, and, and he gets all up in arms because you know, they, were, they were selling these little statues and the cult of Artemis, which was one of the Greek, Greek gods was very prevalent in that time. And so, so they, were, they were selling all these, you know, these little statues and people stopped buying the statues because people were being converted to Christianity so much so that they rioted in the streets. And they were like chanting, you know, like whatever, you know, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, these people were, they were steeped in their belief. And Paul comes in and says, hey, there's another way. There's the kingdom of God. There's this man named Jesus who died for you. And so with all of that said, come on, think about that as we're studying this, what was really going on. The, uh, the book of Ephesians is about 155 verses. It's not very big. All right, it's not very big, but like I said earlier, it's split into two different sections. And chapters one through three is really talking about who we are in Christ, our position in Christ. And you're gonna hear in Christ or in him, all of these phrases, a whole lot over the next few weeks, all right? We, I was riding in the car the other day and Ariana was in the back seat and I was listening to a, a teaching on, on this and the guy kept on saying, in Christ, in Christ. And uh, Ariana was in the back, she said, he says in Christ a lot. <laughs> like, I was like, yes, he does. I was like, that's because it's kind of a big deal, babe. You know, but chapters one through three is that, chapters four through six is really about how we are to live in Christ, our practice, all right? Now, I love the way that it's laid out because it talks, Paul talks about what matters first, our position, our understanding of the gospel, and then he gets to how, that, how we, we live out of that. And again, if you guys have been here any amount of time, you know that that sequence is very, very important, that we live out of what Christ has done in us. We don't live a certain way in order to attain some sort of place in him, right? Like, like it's, it's a different way of thinking. And so, so, um, so he starts with the gospel. And I think if we had to sort of sum up where we're starting today, we could say this, that the message of Ephesians is that when we embrace the love of Christ, we will also embrace the way of life that Christ loves, right? We'll embrace the way that Christ loves, the life that we should live. So each week, we're gonna basically start off with one question that's gonna sort of frame up everything that we talk about. So you're like, hey, how are we gonna approach all of these verses? Well, it's one thought. And all of these thoughts, all of these verses support this one thought, all right? And so the, the question this week is, why do we worship? Why do we worship, okay? And um, now the, the cool part about this is that we actually talked a lot about this just a few weeks ago. 
If you guys remember, in the Jesus Effect, I, I taught on worship and praise. And you remember the difference between worship and praise. Uh, and praise is the expression of what we are placing worth on. And we learned that we are all created to worship. Like, you are always outputting worth on someone or something. Okay, it's just sort of like, it's one of those things, being alive, you are worshiping something at all times. And last week, we even talked about it, how we're either worshiping the creator or we're worshiping the creation, like the creator or the created things. That's sort of the two options there. What are we placing value on, placing our life in? And um, I do believe this, that worship of God is in response to a revelation from God, Right? In order to worship God, there must be a true revelation from God. To worship in spirit and in truth, you must understand the spirit, right? And, and the truth, you must be living in that vein. And, and that comes from a revelation from God. And so Paul defines why we worship. And we're gonna look at verses three through 14 today. That's sort of where we're gonna sit. And uh, really the three areas is that we worship because we are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and assured by the Spirit. That's the three overarching supporting thoughts of why do we worship. Now, the interesting thing about verses three through 14 is that it's really the longest sentence in the Bible. Now, we have it all split up into different sections and whatnot, but really this is one big thought that Paul is, is communicating right here. And it is incredible, it's depthy, and uh, you know, it's hard to take a breath when you're talking about it because it's just every, I mean, he says one thing and before he's done with that, he goes to the next thing. <laughs> you're just like, bam, getting smacked in the face, right? So let's go to verse three. This is where he's beginning to explain that we worship because we have been chosen by the Father, all right? So verse three, y'all ready? Y'all with me? Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined or predetermined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose or the desire or the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All right. So there's this block of scriptures right here. And again, we worship because we have been chosen by the Father. And he starts off with, we are blessed in Christ, in Christ. Now, again, this phrase right here is mentioned many, many times. It's, it's actually mentioned 36 times in this book. And there's references to in Christ or because of Christ or in him. Okay, there's all of these phrases. Uh, do you guys think that Paul is maybe trying to make a point? He is, he's trying to anchor everything to, everything that I'm talking about we have in Christ. Without him, or if we are outside of faith in Christ, we don't have access to these things, right? Like there is no spiritual blessings. There are, there's nothing if we're not in Christ. And I love that because from the beginning, he gives proper credit and glory to whom deserves it right? He's going to anchor everything in that. And I think it's an important thing for us to understand. Uh, we kind of talked about this last week, that we exist as people, we live for the glory of God, all right? Like that is, that is really the main sole purpose that we exist. As believers, if you truly believe what the word of God says, then honestly, it's sort of like, why are we still here, 
right? If you, if you think about it, why? To proclaim, to praise God, to lift his name up, to glorify him in what we say and do and lift his name up for other people to be drawn to him, to know about him. We live for the glory of God in everything that we do, right? So the thing about that is that we are in a constant struggle to live for the glory of God versus our own, right? Just like we talked about worship, we're supposed to worship God, but what happened in the fall is that that worship got deviated from, from going to God, that worth being placed on him to we worship ourselves. We don't have to be taught to worship ourselves. We're just very good at that, all right? And it's the same thing with living for our own glory or for God's. Left to ourselves, we will always live for our own glory. We'll exist for ourselves. It's all we know to do. And so Paul is from the get-go right here, he's pointing people upward. He's lifting their eyes out of their own life to what there's, the life that they're supposed to be living. And uh, there's actually a way to, to sort of frame this thought up and it's, it's, a, it's a very complex uh, doctrine. It's called the, the doctrine of uh, cat theology or dog theology. Yeah, it's really depthy and uh, complex. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt to open this up to you in a way that we'll all understand it. Um, I'm being sarcastic, by the way. It's obviously something very easy to understand. How many people I got here who are cat people? Cat people? Y'all are like kind of ashamed of that. You're like, <laughs> you know, I kind of know they're demons, but it's cool. Like I like them anyway. Where's my dog people at? Much more dog people. Much more dog people. This is gonna, this is gonna make total sense then. Good, glad. Cats, uh, so I grew up with cats. My mom still got a couple cats, and, and, but, but only two. She's not like a weird cat lady, okay? It's not like nine or 10. Once you get up there, you're the weird cat lady next door. So I'm sorry if you have nine or 10 cats, but you know, I, I'm gonna keep moving. <laughs> you're like, actually, I do. But um, it's fine, they're rescue cats or something, and so therefore, it, it, anyway. So, so if, you, if you've ever had a cat, you know that, that when you come home from work, right? You walk in the door, there's this cat sitting there who doesn't greet you, all right? Like actually usually sort of looks at you and like walks the other way, you know what I'm saying? Sits there and perches and bathes itself and just like, it's so preeminent. It has such a preeminent spirit about it, right? And, and really what it is, is the cat, because you feed it and because you pet it and care for it, it concludes that it is God. Like, come on. It's like, I, it, this person exists for my well-being and my glory. And so they become prideful and preeminent and they're just so pompous, you know, and they just, they just hiss at you. And, you know, if they're, if they're mad at you, they just, uh, the cats kind of, they do their tail and they just go off. They're just, they're terrible little creatures. But, but, but a dog, a dog, on the other hand, this is why we like dogs. On a, do a dog, whenever you are like even putting your key in the door, it's like, you know, like, like itching, it's, it's ready for you to get there. You open up, it's so excited to see you. See, see, the dog concludes because you pet it and feed it and take care of it, that, that you're God, right? Like you're God and, and, and it's just so grateful like that you would even see fit to give it another meal, you know? And like, I mean, you can punch a dog in the face not that you would do that. I'm saying, <laughs> I am not saying you should punch a dog. I'm just saying if you were to at some point, like a couple minutes later, the dog is right back up in your lap. Cool, that cat will not speak to you or meow at you or 
cats sort of talk sometimes. It's, it's sort of weird. But for months, why? Because cats think that because you serve them, right, that you love them, that they are God, where dogs conclude the opposite. And, and as people, we sort of approach God that way, right? Like, like some people approach God where it's like, you know, you're really serving me because you love me so much, then really I should have all of these things. And if one thing happens off that doesn't make you know, perfect sense or, or whatever, the tail wags weird and, and people run off, you know what I'm saying? Because they think that everything's going on for them. Whereas, you know, true believers, we're like dogs, I guess. Welcome to Northwood, you're a dog, um, right? We look at it and we say, man, every good thing comes from God. And we exist to bring him honor and glory, right? And so it's a completely different way of approaching like how you live, how you think, how you walk through trials. So are we a, a cat or are we a dog? I tell you this though, believers must agree that we live for the glory of God. We, we must believe it, we must live it that way. The Westminster Shorter Catechism states that a man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think it's such a great way of framing it up. That's man's chief end is to glorify God. So whenever you walk through difficult times, compare it to that. Whenever something takes place that doesn't quite make sense, compare it to that, you know, Am I, am I truly living, am I gonna walk through this for the glory of God? Or am I gonna be like that cat? Put my nose up and hiss a little bit, right? He goes on, he says, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. I love this because the focus isn't on materialistic blessings. Anytime that we say I'm blessed, immediately we assume somebody is saying that they're blessed because they have nice things or something worked out really well for them. Paul is not referring to that. He's saying spiritual blessings in heavenly places lifting their, their eyes up, lifting their, their, the focus of their lives above what they have, how much money they have, what sort of uh, success they're experiencing. Look, by the way, in this culture, remember, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of wealth. You had giant mansions all over the place. You had people that had money. And the thing about that, money's not evil in and of itself. The love of it is, or the dependence on it versus God is. And what happens, that's why the Bible talks about how it's, it's difficult for a rich person to go into the, you know, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because their source becomes themselves. Their source becomes their comfort, their ability to accomplish what they need to out of their own strength. And it removes this dependency upon God. It doesn't have to be like that, but it does happen a lot of times. So he's like, hey guys, it's not about materialistic blessings. It's about spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then he, he says, we've been chosen and we've been adopted as children of God. Now, this is actually a wonderful, you know, a, a, a part of the scripture that a lot of people get hung up on and they sort of take it in a weird way. And, and what's actually meant to be something that we would praise God for, people then begin to break down and it loses its joy, right? Like, like I've been adopted into the family of God. And some people say, well, you know, why is that person adopted instead of that one over there? And right, like immediately they begin to twist things and they begin to, 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 to structure sentences in a way that it begins to, to really attack the character of God. You see, for people who are in Christ, they know God. And because they know God, they know his heart, they know his spirit, and they trust in his plan. 
right? And so, so honestly, for some of you today, you might, might be dealing with certain things with the character of who God is. And, and what I would say is you really just need to seek God to know him, right? Have you ever had somebody maybe say that you said something, right? Like, like well, you know, I heard so-and-so say this, and, and then the next person, the next person, right? And, and if nobody actually knows that person, they conclude that that's factual information, right? But have you ever maybe been the person that's heard it and you said, man, let me, I don't think that's quite like who they are. Like, maybe you should go talk to them about that because that just doesn't sound right. Why? Because you know the person. That's how you can defend them because you're like, no, you're, you're seeing that from the wrong angle. Let me help you understand. The problem is a lot of people don't really know God. They don't really have an understanding. They don't have a working theology of who God is. And so therefore they hear all these winds of doctrine or these really good cases about why this scripture is this and that. And they begin to doubt God. And I really believe that if there's anything that you are studying and it begins to produce fear and doubt in who God is, you need to continue to you know, study and to pray and to get in conversations with other believers in order to work that out because you're not looking at it right. The more that we know of God, the more that we can trust him. And this is why Paul exalts God in a lot of these verses. Verse four and five, he, he says God is perfectly loving. In verse five, he talks about how God is eternally sovereign. Verse six through eight, he's gloriously gracious. And in verse eight, he's infinitely wise. God is supreme. He's above all things. And I would encourage each of you to begin to have a higher view of God and a lower view of yourself. I could just encourage you to do that. Begin to place God in a high place above your desires, above your conceptual thinking, okay? Above your wisdom and begin to submit yourself. And a lot of times it starts just right here. I trust you, God. Whatever God does is consistent with his character so we can trust his plan. The next thing he says is that we are, we are uh, basically benefactors of his grace, of his grace. And I think that would kind of correlate with the thing I was just talking about is a lot of people don't see God as a gracious God, or maybe they only see God as a gracious God in the New Testament, but not the Old Testament. And that is also a very messed up view of who God is because he is, he is gracious. Like it's, it's who he is, it's, it's part of his character. He's full of grace and full of love. And the great thing is, is that the gospel, him sending his son to this earth to die for us whenever he didn't deserve it, is a, a, a major spectacle of his grace. Now, there's a difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is basically, hey, we'll call it even. I'm not going to kill you. Grace is unmerited favor. Like, I'm going to pour out blessings on you. Right? And that's what God is doing. He didn't just call it even. He actually went above and beyond. And Paul is displaying this and, and trying to communicate that we are benefactors of his grace. It's incredible. So the next thing is that we worship because we have been redeemed by the son. We've been redeemed by the son. Why do we place value and worth on God? Because we've been redeemed by the son. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished excessively, abundantly upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. I just love reading scriptures where every other word, it has nothing to do with me. Like, I love it. Like, because of his purpose, it was in him through his grace and everything's just, like, honestly, guys, if you read scripture this way, every time that you see in him, in Christ, because of his love, it takes the responsibility off of you to produce grace, to produce right standing before God and actually truly trust in it. Does it make sense? It, it, it removes that weight because we understand taking responsibility for our actions. Honestly, a lot of people would rather take a whip to the back for Christ versus trust in the, the, the whip that was upon his back because we, we wanna like pay. Like that way we could say, hey, we're even. And God's like, no, that's not how this is gonna work. I'm going to hurt my son. I'm going to place the stripes and the pain upon his back for your redemption. There's a train in the middle of the service. You're like, I didn't know that there was a railroad track so close. There is not a railroad track that close. I'm sorry, I just have, I have a lot of trouble continuing to talk about eternity with choo-choo, choo-choo, right? It's like, you, you can't take me seriously at that point. I mean, I can't take myself seriously. So <laughs> what's going on in the mind of a preacher? Stuff like that. Like, I guess I'll just let this pass, but... But we worship because we're redeemed by the Son. Now, redemption is about being liberated or freed from a debt or from prison. I think one of the best ways to put it is, imagine yourself, you're in prison, right? You got a, you got a life sentence, it's done. You have no hope for parole, you're done. And one day, out of nowhere, that door opens up and a person walks up and says, hey man, you're, you're set free. And, and you're like, what? <laughs> They're like, yeah, there's somebody that actually is gonna come and serve your sentence so you can walk free. And in that moment, just, just try to imagine what would happen in your heart for whoever that is. You would overflow with gratitude, thankfulness. You would begin to praise whoever that is because they set you free. They redeemed you out of that situation and now you're free. The problem is that for us, a lot of us don't understand or have a revelation of the fact that we have been redeemed for eternity. And so because we don't have like an understanding of that and our eyes aren't set forward in this, this futuristic eternal type of sense, it doesn't produce a desire to praise and worship God because it's not real to us. It's not real. The songs that we just sang, singing in the victory, the victory of the cross. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. For people who have a revelation of what those words mean, something inside of you bubbles up, wells up. Some people cry, some people laugh, some people just sit there silently and just reflect upon it. It means something to you. For those who this is just a religious experience, it's kind of like, this is some weird words. What are you talking about? That, that's really the bottom line. So we worship because we're redeemed by the Son. 
Praise and worship is really the only proper response to the gospel truth. It's really the only proper response. You know, uh, uh, Brent, some of, some of the uh, people, they went to, the, a few people from in here, actually, Jacques, I know a few of you, you went to Cuba last week and uh, uh, they were talking about whenever they were in these worship services or in their church services during the music, which I'm sure was incredible music. I'm sure it was super like, you know, top notch, right? These people would worship unabandoned, just, just with all that they had. And one of them told them this, we pray so intensely, right? With such intensity, be, because honestly, we don't have a lot of other things to offer God. Like we, don't, we don't have money. We don't have stuff like that to offer God. But we do have our praise. We can sing. We de- can declare his goodness. And uh, man, that struck me. I was like, man, man, do we, do we not worship God because maybe we feel like we have something else to offer him? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's just something to think about. Verse nine, it's this idea is that all things are, are centered around Jesus. He talks about making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. How many of you guys, whenever you read scriptures like that, you kind of just go, like, huh? Am I the only one that whenever I read a scripture at times, I just kind of, I read it three times and I'm like, Still don't get it. <laughs> I'm trying real hard, you know? Well, I wanna encourage everybody in here, including myself, that that's actually a wonderful place to be, to continue to ask those questions and continue to read those scriptures, continue to study what it is, because the more that you study, the more those layers break off and open up and it becomes like, wow. You see, the way that I read this is that all things are centered around Jesus. And, and here's the deal, not just us as individuals, not just us as a church, but literally creation itself. The whole world, when sin entered into the equation, everything broke. Everything, I mean, like to a molecular level, like, like our DNA is messed up because of sin. Like everything got thrown off. And, and you know, which I think is incredible. Actually, there, there's been studies done uh, about the DNA strands and, and how they're, they're sort of like on and off switches. And, and there's, there's certain things that are on in certain people and off in certain people. And a lot of times it has to do with literally your, like who came before you, your grandma, these things. And you carry on these traits, but also, you know, we talk about generational curses, right? There's actually evidence about those things that are also passed down, which gets really crazy because a lot of times we just want to, you know, kind of undermine those things. But the thing is, is that the scriptures talk about it all throughout if you read it from that angle. And here it's saying the same thing, that when, when Christ returns, all things will be made new completely. So we have a measure of this newness that we're in right now, right? We have, we're, we're kind of living in this time period in this certain time. But really all things are going to be restored in Christ. That's the plan of God, the mystery of his will. A lot of times we just... We bring the gospel and it's all about just us as individuals, but actually the good news is that Jesus is restoring all things, all people, all creation. He is going to unite everything, put everything back in its rightful place, back to peace, order, right? Shalom, like that's what this thing is about, being restored. So this blessedness, this redemption, all of these things are in Jesus. And I think that this is a great phrase 
Our entire blessedness, our victory, our adoption, our happiness, and our hope, come on, is bound up in our being bound to Christ. So some of you today, you're looking for victory and happiness and hope. You're looking for all of these things. And you will find certain things that numb that for a while. You'll find it. You'll find things that will numb it for a very long time, actually. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, sinful things are going to feel good, and they are going to work. Uh, I remember, you know, uh, recently I was talking to somebody, and, and they said, man, whoever, told, whoever said money don't buy you happiness was lying. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, I guess so. In my mind, I'm thinking, it's only a matter of time before you realize that that's not true, you know? But does it feel good? Does it work for a while? Absolutely. So let me encourage you in that, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> right? Some of you are like, I'm not choosing Jesus. Well, okay, then you're gonna have a few years of good things, all right? Eventually, though, the clock runs out. That's the way it is. Our entire blessedness is bound up in being bound to Christ. Third thing, we worship because we are assured by the Spirit. Let's read verse 11 through 14. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, <laughs> he is anchoring everything in himself, in, in God. So that we, now I want you to know who he's talking about here. He's talking about the Jews. So the Jews who were the first to hope in Christ Right Now, we learned some of this in, in Romans. We talked about how the Jews were the first to hear the promises of God and receive the oracles of God, right? So they were the first to hope in the Messiah might be to the praise of his glory. Again, anchoring everything that all this is about praising God for his glory. Verse 13, in him you, now he's talking to the Gentiles, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed. Another word is secured or authenticated with the promised Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee until we, now he's talking about we, the church, Jews and Gentiles all together, acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's talking about how we have an, an inheritance We've received something in the future, but the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the guarantee, sort of like on a house now for what we have already received. What does that look like though? You may have heard people say, I'm sealed by the Spirit. And you're like, that's great. What? <laughs> what, what, is, what does that look like? Well, first off, you gotta understand a seal, obviously back in the day, you know, if you've watched any sort of historical stuff or old, old movies, you've seen like a scroll or a letter, they put the hot wax on it and then somebody's got like a ring or some sort of stamp and they, you know, and it seals it. It authenticates it. Also, it's like, you can't open that up. Like one person needs to open that up and it's the person that's supposed to open it, right? But he's saying we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We were authenticated. But what does that look like? Maybe some practical ways of what it looks like to be sealed by the Spirit. Well, I think number one, it's security and being saved. Like the, I just know, right? Has anybody ever asked you, like, why do you believe in what you believe? Like, how do you know it's true? And you're like, man, I just, I just know. 
You know, it's, it's like this, this, it's just, it's true, man. It, it, it makes sense. Some people think that Christianity is not logical. It actually is very logical. But it's also, you must be full of faith at the same time. But when it comes to this right here, if you know, you know, right? You've been secured. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. You know. Next thing is conviction of right and wrong, truth and deception. Guys, can, can I just be honest with you? For someone who professes to be a believer, to know God, but their life does not line up with who Jesus is, and they are not convicted, stirred to live a righteous life, I'm not gonna say that that person is not saved. I am not the person that can do that. I don't even feel that responsibility. But out of love for that person, I'd be like, man, how come these things which are so blatantly against the will of God and the word of God, how does it not, how does it not do something in you? How does it not mess with you? And at some point you have to ask the question, man, do I have the spirit of God living on the inside of me? Have I been sealed by the spirit? How about truth and deception? How many times maybe you've been listening to somebody share something or teach something or talk about their, their thinking and in your mind, in your heart, you're like, this is just not, this is not truth. What is that? It's the spirit of God on the inside of you not bearing witness with what they are teaching. It's a big deal, sealed by the spirit. And also I believe that another uh, component of being sealed by the Spirit, authenticated by the Spirit, is that the fruit of the Spirit is in our life. That we are being made more like Jesus, being sanctified, because the Holy Spirit's working in us and through us, right? Sealed and authenticated by the Spirit. So for today, again, the question is, why do we worship? Why do we place worth and value? Like for some of you, it's like, you're looking at me, you're, you're thinking about the people around you and you're like, how do you, how do you base your whole life and your whole eternity upon what you just talked about? Like what, what, what is, what is, how do you do that? Well, the three answers today, why do I worship God? It's because I've been chosen by the Father and I believe that. I've been redeemed by the Son. My past doesn't matter. My sin nature is done away with, right? I've re been redeemed by the Son and I've been assured by the Spirit. And for many of you today, you can't stand with that type of authority or that type of confidence, but you really want to. I think some of you, you're sort of like teetering and tottering on this whole decision of like whether to follow Jesus or not. There's a lot of things today that I said that we sang about that make a lot of sense. There's a lot of things that you have questions about. And I wanna encourage you to trust in God. He's good, He's loving, He's forgiving, there's nothing that you've done that's too big that he can't handle. His grace is sufficient for you. Let me pray with you right now. God, we thank you for, for your word. God, that you cut through all of our opinions. God, all of our desires. And Father, you deposit your truth deep inside of us, God. And today, Father, you have, you have helped us see what we have in Christ. And God, there's some of us here today who we're not in Christ. We, we don't trust in him. 
We don't know you. And God, I'm praying that right now that you would do a great work in every heart here. God, for those who are far from you, that you would draw them close by your power, by your presence, by your grace. If you're in this place right now and you know that you're far from God, but today you're just like, how do I, how do I start this? Well, it's very simple. Really, you just say yes to Jesus. He's already drawing you. He's already dealing with you. And so I just wanna pray with you. It doesn't have to be some spectacular prayer. It just has to be an honest one. So right now, let's pray together. Say something like this. God, I'm, I'm here before you humble. All that I am, I lay at your feet. My efforts, God, all the things that I've been trying to do, I've been trying to be good. And today I realize that my effort always falls short. So right now, God, I surrender my life to you. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to shed his blood, his innocent blood for my sin, to pay the price for my sin and my shame and redeem me. So today, God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your forgiveness. I repent and I turn from my life of unrighteousness, my life of sin, and I turn to you. Thank you for your grace. I believe in you. I trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, uh, you can check out all of our past sermons, all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi, and uh, even give to support those efforts of reaching more people. Be sure to connect with us on social media and to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching and hope to see you soon.